You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning. How are we doing, Calvary? I'm not convinced. I'm glad to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, just, just to warn you, I, the more feedback I get, the faster I preach. I'm just saying. You're, you're thinking already about where you're going to lunch. Some of you are thinking about going to Crumble for lunch, apparently. But some of you are already thinking about where you're going to lunch. If you want to get there faster, I just need some encouragement. I need some feedback from you guys. So, um, you know, we're, we're a spirit-filled church. Let's pretend like we're a spirit-filled church for a little bit today. Uh, but I'm so glad to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. If you're a guest, um, don't judge us based on me today um, because Nick does an incredible job. And you guys, I hope you understand How much of a gift Nick Poole is to this church and to the body of Christ. Um, Nick, I appreciated the kind words he said about me, uh, but he's been a, a good friend to me as well. I may have mentioned this when I was with you guys last year. My, my dad passed away about almost a month to the day after Nick's dad passed away. And so I was able to come over for the funeral and be here and just kind of try to be a supportive friend. And then all of a sudden, I needed a supportive friend. And your pastor showed up. And uh, I'm grateful for friends like that. And I'm grateful for leaders like that. And, um, and pastors need pastors. Pastors need encouragement. Pastors need support. And so I want to encourage you. Um, don't... Uh, don't wait till pastor appreciation to tell your pastor you appreciate him. Um, don't do it once a year when you're supposed to or the board says, here's the time. Make sure you take time to honor those who bless and pour into your life because you guys are fortunate to have a team like you have here at Calvary for sure. So thank you guys for the honor and the privilege for allowing me to be a part. As Nick said, I pastor in Indiana, PA. Um, and that's why I wore the camo shirt because... When I'm in Indiana, I can wear the shirt and then go right out to the deer stand. So it's perfect. We're <laughs> rednecks and hillbillies in Indiana, PA, apparently. Uh, that's what I've heard. But uh, I love it. I love the church I get to pastor and get to lead. I've got a wonderful wife. Last time I was here, I made a joke. I don't know if you remember this. Probably not. I made a joke and I said, I've got, man, a wonderful wife. And I've got, a, I said, I've got two beautiful kids, daughters. And then I've got an ugly one we keep in the basement. And I just made the joke kind of like offhand. It was just being funny. And later I, in the lobby afterwards, I had a, a, a beautiful woman come up to me and say, you shouldn't say that about your other daughter. And I was like, no, no, no I don't actually have a third daughter. I only have two. <laughs> uh, my third daughter has such a complex. Yeah, that's what I, I just left it there. I'm like, oh, I'm kidding. She's not that ugly. Anyway. <laughs> but my daughters are awesome. I'm um, fortunate. Both of them feel called to ministry. One is, uh, will be 20 next week and one is 16 and uh, yeah, I'm blessed. So thank you for being here today. Thanks for allowing me to be a part. Um, as Nick said, we're, I guess we're wrapping up the series today and uh, just talking about things that are hard to talk about. And uh, the topic that I've been assigned this weekend is the, this 
idea of the, the love for the outsider. Um, an outsider is a word that we can throw around pretty easily, but just a textbook definition of the word outsider is this. It's a person not belonging to a particular group, set, party, etc. A person unconnected or unacquainted with a matter in question. So maybe if a group of people were talking about something and you had no idea what they were talking about, you would be an outsider in that. A racehorse sports team or other competitor not considered likely to win or succeed. Um, here in Pittsburgh, we are very familiar with the Pirates, right? So <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> Who knows if they will ever win, ever. But they would be an outsider when it comes to athletics and winning. A person or a thing not within an enclosure or boundary. And this is the one I want to settle on. Because um, this is the one historically that makes the most sense. So when we talk historically about outsiders, it's, it's traditionally about people that are outside of our boundary. Now when we go back to medieval age, um, historically through time, cities, villages would begin to grow up and they would build a wall to keep out outsiders, to protect themselves. And historically what would happen is the very poor that would, as the city was growing, the very poor would have to live outside of the protection of the city walls. And so even though technically they might be part of the city, part of the people, they were still outsiders. And even though we don't build stone walls and moats around our cities and around our homes today many times, there's still this idea that we understand what an outsider is. We understand who belongs and who doesn't belong. Let me give an example. Even in your own home, there are places, if I showed up at your house today, just unexpectedly, bing, bong, rang the doorbell, you'd be like, oh, hey, what's your name from church today? And be like, hey, it's great to see you. Do you mind if I come in? You might let me in. Oh, sure. And I'd stand in the entryway for a minute and talk and go, do you care if we sit down on the couch? Maybe you would let me. But if I was like, do you care if I go back to your bedroom and take a nap? You'd be like, whoa, 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 right? There are places we will allow people to go. And the closer we get to the most intimate spots, the, the less we want people there. So, so let me explain it this way. Um, you don't mind people showing up in your driveway or in your front yard. Fewer people are gonna get into your kitchen. Fewer people are gonna get into your, your, your sleeping space, your bedroom, right? This is an intimate, personal, private space. And so the, the level of intimacy grows the closer you get. Um, I hate garage sales with a fiery passion. I feel like the only difference between garage sales and garbage is how close you set it to the curb. So... <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm going to stand out here. We're going we're gonna to work for 12 hours and we're going to make $300. I would rather give this away and have the time back, right? And so um, I pastor a good-sized church in, in a small town in Indiana. And um, I'm, I'm manning the garage sale. And this lady walks into our garage and she, we talk for a minute and I just engage her. And she says, you look familiar. I'm like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. And I didn't recognize her. And she said, you're the pastor of Summit Church. I said, maybe. Because that felt kind of vague, right? And sure enough, she said, I've been to your church. I was like, oh, this is not promising. She said, I was there. I heard your wife preach. 
It was like, oh, we're about to fight in my garage right now. And she was unhappy with a, a comment my wife made about be, Jesus being the only way to heaven, which seems to be fairly safe to me that it's a very orthodox kind of view in Christianity. But she didn't like that idea, and she said, I just decided I'd never come back to your church. And I was like, okay, well, do you, do you want to buy any of our garbage? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Like, that's fine that you feel that way. Would you please buy these potholders? Or anyway, um... But there was no level of intimacy there. It was clear there was a divide between us. There was another man, I'm not exaggerating, uh, maybe an hour later, um, and he looked homeless, um, but he, he rode up and we were talking, engaging, and he said, I know you. I was like, sweet Jesus, help me. Like, rapture me, Lord, right now, just take me away. And he said, I've been to your church, and you preach falsehood. Like, man, I'm just trying to get rid of my stuff, okay? Like, come on. And so he went on to tell me about how I preached false doctrine, and he came to a service one time, and I didn't even preach, didn't even use scripture. I was like, nope, that's false. You've, I've never done that ever in my life, never even once. And, but there was this hostility between us, and I tried to be as friendly and welcoming as I could, but there's no chance I was going to invite this guy from my garage and go, hey, why don't we go in the house and sit on the couch and talk about it, right? Let, let's go, you know what, um, you need a nap. Why don't you go lay in my bed and take a nap? Like, no, thank you. I wanted to get this guy out of my garage as quickly as I could, right? Like, this was too close. And there's this idea in our world that, that we understand, even if we don't use the language, an insider and an outsider. We know who belongs and who doesn't belong. See, in, in a broad sense in our world, it's easy for us to look at things like immigration, people from other nations, people from other countries, people, whether they have come here legally or illegally, and assign them value or believe certain things about certain people based on the way they look. Um, I'm not saying this like yay me kind of way. Indiana, Pennsylvania, I don't know if you know this, at least before COVID, we had the third highest population of any county in the state for, for people from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabian nationals would come to Indiana to go to IUP. And so we've got a mosque just west of our church. It's a thriving mosque in Indiana County, by the way, right? And so God has sent people from the Middle East to Indiana County. And it was funny when they were building the mosque, one of the well-intentioned people in our church was like, hey, pastor, here's what we need to do. We need to go put a Bible in the foundation as they're pouring it. It's like, okay, well, help me understand that. And there's, well, then whenever they're praying, they're always praying over the word of God. It's like, okay, I think, I think you're missing it, but yeah, I get it, I get it, but you know, let's talk through this. And so what I had to do is try to help them understand, hey, wouldn't it be better if we just made friends with the people that were there, like built a bridge relationally instead of like just just praying for them. God, I pray that you would send somebody to minister to them, but not me, because those people. Um, we had, a, we had a, a back to school outreach at our church one year, as we do typically, and um, we had, um, we, we're church, we're on a budget, and so we got hot dogs. And uh, we have these hot dogs and cotton candy, and people are coming in, and their group of ladies 
um, that are four nationals. They, they were dressed traditionally in, in uh, Muslim garb. They showed up with their kids. And I overheard one of our greeters at the front, this well-intentioned teenage boy, say, hey, I'm so glad to see you. We got cotton candy and games for the kids. We got free hot dogs. And I said, no, 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 I don't think they want hot dogs. And he was like, of course they want hot dogs. Everybody likes hot dogs. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think they probably do. Something tells me, right? But there's this idea that there is insiders and outsiders. And even, even in the Old Testament, now, we won't go into a deep talk about this, but in the temple, in, in Solomon's temple, there were places you could go and places you couldn't go. There was uh, what was called the Gentile court where Gentiles could go. They could go to a certain spot just inside the outer walls. They could go in and congregate. They could meet. They could talk. They could connect with people. They could do different things. This is where Solomon's porch was in the ancient temple. Um, beggars would beg there many times, but this is where people would congregate. The, this was separated from the outer court uh, by a wall called the Soreg. And the Soreg was a wall that literally there were signs on the Soreg that said, if, if you are a Gentile or you are an unclean Jew, if you pass this point, you will be put to death. Like, that's pretty serious, right? So, the Gentiles and the unclean Jews had to stay in the Gentile court. If you were a clean, or ceremonially clean Jew, you could go past the Soreg into the outer court. And this is where um, women were allowed to go. This is where they would stay, basically, unless they had an, a sacrifice to offer. Then they could take their sacrifice in further. But you had the outer court with women only. You go in a little further. You had the inner court. Uh, this was the hall of the Israelites and hall of the priests. Um, this is where people would offer a sacrifice and they would stand and wait uh, in silence and worship as their sacrifice was being received. And then, and this is a broad generalization, and then you would go into the holiest of places. Um, there were two rooms that were connected. One was the holy place, uh, and it had several items in this room. It had a, um, a candle stand. It had a loaf of bread and symbolic things, and we won't get into all that. And then you go through here, through this curtain, into the Holy of Holies. And this is kind of like our house, because the Holy of Holies is where the, the Spirit of God, the manifest Spirit of God would dwell. And one person was allowed to go in that room once a year. It was an intimate spot. But you, you go out a little further and more people were allowed there. You go out a little further, more people were allowed. You go out a little further. Does this make sense? This is like our homes. There's a level of intimacy we have with people that we draw the line and go, you can't go past this line. And in the temple, they had these lines. And for us, we have these same lines in our lives. It, no matter if we're talking about a foreign national, somebody from Mexico or the Middle East or wherever they might be, or whether we're talking about people in our community. Because we are attracted to what we are. We like what we are because we are safe. So we like people who look like us and think like us and vote like us and believe like us. And because of that, it filters us into very homogeneous groups, which again, are safe and comfortable. One of the greatest needs that people have, though, is uh, from a sociological perspective or a psychological perspective. If you talk to counselors, they will say one of the greatest needs people have is to be fully known and fully loved. We want people to know us. 
We want to be known and we want people to love us. Now here's the problem. For many people, we feel like these two things might violate the other. If people love me, that's great. They can really love me. But if they really knew me, they wouldn't really love me. If people knew the real me, they wouldn't really love me. And then the other is true too. Well, uh, they might know me, but they can't really love me if they really know me. And this is what we want. And this is what everybody wants. This is, this is written into our core, into our DNA. Because God has wired us for a relationship. He's wired us for intimacy, to know others, to know him, to have relationship with people. And the Israelites, they struggled with welcoming outsiders. In fact, they struggled so much, God had to give them instruction on how to welcome outsiders and what it looked like. So in Leviticus chapter 19, God says this. He says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in the land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourselves. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God has to reiterate that at the end. Hey, this is not a suggestion. Do you ever have that conversation if you've got kids with your kids? Maybe you go, hey, um, this is not a suggestion. I, I'm, your, I'm not your buddy, I'm your dad, okay? So it's not up to you whether you do this or not. You need to do this, right? Uh, the, the Bonners, I love the Bonners. These guys were uh, members of Summit Church years ago. And then they, when they were leaving, when they finished up at IEP, they were like, hey, we need to help find a good church. And I was like, well, there's not a good church over there, so why didn't you go to Calvary? I, I'm just kidding. That's a good way to endear myself to the congregation, right? No, no, no. I said, hey, I know a great pastor. You need to connect. And I didn't hear anything else about it. And then I showed up last year, and I was like, oh, the Bonners are here. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, but they're going to experience this with their kids someday, having this moment where they go, you're going to do it because I'm your dad. That's why you're going to do it, right? And God has this conversation. He goes, here's what I want you to do. And I know you're not going to like it. You're not going to feel like it. You're not going to want to do it. But you're going to do it because I'm God. I'm telling you to do this. And he says, don't take advantage of them. Hey, they're not going to speak your language. They're not going to know your customs. They're not going to know all the, the, the subtle things that we know because we're insiders. They are outsiders. And he says, so don't take advantage of them. He says, treat them well. Honor them, respect them. Treat them like you would native-born Israelites. Don't look down on them. Numbers chapter 15 says this, the same instructions and regulations will apply both to you and to the foreigners living among you. So this is important. So God doesn't just say, treat them well. He says from a legal perspective, they have the same rights and privileges as Native-born Israelites. This is the way God looks at foreigners in relation to his kingdom, to the nation of Israel. He says, not only should you be nice to them, but they should have the same rights. Now, some of you right now are getting a little tense because you're like, what are you saying about immigration, Mel? And here's what I'm saying about immigration. Immigration can take care of itself. Um, you can vote for the policy you want to vote for, but, but there is a, a policy within the kingdom of heaven we need to apply. That, that, that people we come into contact with, we need to treat well, we need to honor, we need to respect. No matter what their legal status is, we need to say, hey, I'm gonna love you even though you are an outsider, even though your culture is different, even though you look different. Because I am primarily, let me help you with this, and I can say this because I'm not the pastor here, and if I never come back, I'm okay with that. 
My identity is not that of an American citizen. I am not first and foremost a U.S. citizen. I am first and foremost primarily a citizen of heaven. That is my primary identity. Everything else filters through that. And if there is any identity that comes into conflict with my identity as a citizen of heaven, then those have to be subjugated to my primary identity. There's a lot said in our world today about identity, about our ethnicity and our gender and all these kind of things. But, but I find that if we will order our affections the way the Bible tells us to, and if we will make our primary identity that as a son or daughter of God, that all of our other issues will begin to fall into place correctly. One person loved that. You guys want me to preach slow, I guess, so you got it. Hebrews 13, so this isn't just Old Testament, it's New Testament. Hebrews 13, too, says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. He says, treat strangers with hospitality. Treat people well, even if you don't know them. Engage them. Honor them. Trust them. See, I believe as, as Christians, we should default to trust. Now, we shouldn't be unwise. I'm not saying that, uh, that you do stupid things, but, but we should default to trust. We shouldn't see somebody who looks different than us and just imagine the worst possible uh, outcome of who they are. Um, I know people, I know people who they're on planes and they get nervous when they see an, a person of Arab nationality get on the plane. Maybe they're not even Arab. They might be Indian. And they're like, well, they're still, they're dark skin, Pastor Mel. I don't know. It makes me nervous. It's like, oh my gosh, come on. Let's imagine the very best instead of the very worst. L -l -let, me, let me make this a little more practical. What about in our church? Now, I know Calvary Assembly gets it right, but, but there are other churches that don't. There, did you know there are some churches that they walk into church and if somebody they don't know is sitting in their spot, they get upset? I know that would never, ever, ever happen at a church like Calvary. I know that. But in other places like Oklahoma and Texas, those pagans down there, they get so frustrated. <laughs> this is simple. Hospitality is directed by God that we should be hospitable. We should treat people well. We should love them well. People who look different than us and think different than us and act different than us. There's a passage of scripture I want to read to you. It's from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 31. And this is Jesus talking. Jesus is preaching here. I'm not making this up. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep in the right hand and his goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Apparently they weren't in a garage sale though because that's different. He says, I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? What? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
Then the king will say, uh, will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. The righteous will go into eternal life. Man, this is a heavy passage of scripture. And, and Jesus is very direct with his followers, right? He understood that his position as a rabbi would dictate that they would never do those things to him. That if, if the rabbi was ever in need, they would jump through hoops to make sure he was taken care of. See, maybe you're driving down the street one day and you see Pastor Nick broken down on the side of the road. You would not be nervous at all to pull over and help Pastor Nick. You would probably be motivated. You'd be like, oh my gosh, Pastor Nick, because you love him rightfully, right? I want to help him. I want to take care of him. If, if there was ever a time when they were struggling to feed their family, I, I have no doubt that this church would rally, that people would be like, yes, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to jump through hoops. I'm going to make sure this family's taken care of. If they didn't have some place to stay, you wouldn't be like, well, you got one kid too many for our house. <laughs> You'd you would probably say, we will figure out a way. We're, we're gonna get you in. You are not gonna be homeless, Pastor Nick. We're gonna take care of you. And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. He said, you've got different standards for people you hold in esteem and people that are outsiders. And he said, you need to view the outsider the same way you view me. That what you would do for me, you need to do for the outsider. The way you would treat me is the way you need to treat the outsider. See, none of us would think twice if, if Pastor Nick walked into church and, and said, hey, do you mind if I sit there? You'd be, oh, absolutely. You, you might gossip about him later, but you would let him sit there right now, right? <laughs> you would write a hateful anonymous review on Facebook, but you'd be like, absolutely, Pastor, sit in my seat, Right? We get angry. Like, don't they know this is my chair? I've been here 27 years and they're sitting in my seat. Did you know I had somebody leave our church because we rearranged the chairs in the auditorium to get more chairs in the auditorium? And they're like, my seat's gone. I was like, nope, your seat's still there. It's just somewhere over here. I don't know where it's at. <laughs> they got mad and they left our church because their chair was gone. See, we get frustrated about things like this all the time. It's normal because we're selfish. One of the things he gets to is he says, I was a stranger. And this word stranger here in the Greek, it's xenos. And xenos is a word that just means a foreigner, a stranger, an alien, without the knowledge of, without a share in, somebody who is an outsider. He said, I was an outsider and you made a place for me. See, it is, it is our mandate as Christians to not just welcome people when they come our way, but to actively look for outsiders. I will tell you in my church, the people who actively look for outsiders are worth their weight in gold. 
The, the person who looks around and sees somebody sitting by themselves and says, hey, why don't you come sit with me, even though they have no idea who they are. That person is reflecting the glory of Christ to the world because they're saying, I'm looking for people who feel like an outsider. I'm looking for people who feel like they don't belong. And that's really what we're talking about is, is us helping people find a place to belong. So what's our response to the outsider? Well, our response should be generosity. It should be to live open-handedly. I talk to my church all the time. Generosity too many times is associated with just finances. When we hear generosity, we're like, oh great, here it comes, tithe, right? No, no. See, many people would rather write a check to the church than live open-handedly with their life. They would rather write a check to the church than, than bless an outsider. So maybe writing a check to the church is the easy thing. Now, am I saying you shouldn't do that? No, absolutely you should do that. But, but being generous is not just about our finances. It's about every aspect of our life. It's about saying, God, I'm gonna be used by you whatever way you want. God, I'm gonna live open-handedly with my life. I'm gonna be generous with outsiders. I'm gonna invite the new person that, to church. I'm gonna invite them to come to lunch with us afterwards. I'm gonna meet somebody in a small group that I've never met before and I'm gonna invite them to get coffee because they seem like they need to find a place to belong. That's generosity. And this is what God is imploring in the New Testament, what we see in the, in the Old Testament, what we see in the New Testament as well. If we would just live generously, open-handedly with people that are different than us. If we would trust first, if we would love first, if we would believe first the best and not the worst. But that's not natural, is it? Our natural response is to question, is to doubt, our natural response is to say, well, what's in it for me? And what's it gonna cost me? Oh, I'd love to pull over and help that person, but uh, I pre-ordered my coffee at Sheets and it's gonna be cold if I pull over and I'm not gonna do that. Oh, my neighbor, um, they lost their job and I could offer hospitality even though I don't even know who my neighbor is. I wave at them when I go in the garage every day, but then I close the garage immediately and we never speak. So I could help, but uh, what's it going to cost me? Well, I mean, I could, I could serve on the hospitality team at Calvary, but oh, I'd have to get there early. Oh, I could help people find their place, but what's it going to cost me? What am I going to give up? Here's what I want you to understand. Um, statistically, most people make a decision about your church before they ever hear Pastor Nick preach. Did you know that? They've already decided if they're ever coming back to this church before he ever gets on the platform. And it's because they're forming ideas based on what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. And if they don't feel like they belong, they will never come back, no, no matter how good his preaching is, no matter how good the worship is. Because we are looking for some place to belong. And we as Christians should have the spot where everyone, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their gender, no matter what their background, no matter who they voted for in the last election, should find a place to belong. I was hoping for more of a response than one person saying amen and one person kind of. No, 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 no. That's phony. It's fake. I don't need that. Don't patronize me, you people. The world is looking for a place to belong. We've got it. We have it. So, so why don't we act like it? Because too many times we're trying to protect what we have. 
We're trying to protect our place in the church. We're trying to protect our, our seat. We're trying to protect our standing. And what does it mean? And how will it impact me? It's natural. Think about this. I know as a pastor, um, one of the challenges I see in our church is when parents are trying to, to, to bring a blended family together. So you've got two families. They both have kids. They're coming together. And, and it's an issue. It's a challenge for parents. And maybe some of you are in that situation. And, and one of the biggest challenges is because when you've got a, a husband, a man with kids, and a woman with kids, and they bring their families together, one of the biggest challenges is now these kids are trying to figure out where do I belong? I knew what my role was before. I knew where my place was before. I knew where I was in the pecking order, but what now? And the same thing happens in our church. People come in the door, and it's easy for us to be insecure. It's easy for us not to trust God. It's easy for us to live in a closed fist, hard-hearted kind of way toward people. As a result, people are struggling trying to figure out where do they belong? Where do they, where do they need to be? Maybe there's a new person at work. They got the bigger office. They're brand new. Well, that's not fair. What happens? Well, the insecurity jumps up and starts going, what's going to happen? Is it going to cost you? And are you at risk? Let me delineate something here too. See, we all want to belong, but sometimes in our effort to belong, we'll try to fit in. And these are two separate things. See, we will fit in whenever we will start to change our behavior in order to fit a culture. And that's what a lot of churches want. A lot of times we will say, hey, everybody's welcome, but what we really mean is everybody's welcome who dresses like us. Everyone who behaves like us is welcome. And so people will come, and in order to try to feel like they belong, they will begin to fit in. Oh, I gotta dress a certain way or look a certain way. And that's ex that is external. Belonging is internal. Belonging says, hey, I am known and I am loved. And it doesn't mean we excuse sin. It doesn't mean we excuse unwise behavior. We will confront that in love. But so many times we want to correct people before they're even in the church. They show up. I've been part of churches where people would show up and be like, oh, we're so glad you're here. Next time you're here, don't wear that. Like, they're never coming back. You don't got to worry about it, man. Like, right? We're in Western Pennsylvania. I mean, a lot of people feel like dressing up for church is wearing their, their nice Ben Roethlisberger jersey, right? Like, <laughs> oh no, that's a special edition, Pastor Mel. I look very fancy today. It's like, great, whatever. But this is the problem. We've drawn this line. We've said there's insiders and outsiders. And what we need to do is, is have mercy for the outsider understand that their greatest desire is to be known and loved. Can we simply do that? Can we simply love people well, regardless of what their background is, regardless of where they've come from? Just say, I'm gonna love you well. And if there's things that need to be adjusted, the Holy Spirit's gonna do it. If this person gets plugged into godly community, the Holy Spirit's gonna do the work he wants to do if we simply trust him. Passage, passage from the book of Hebrews says this, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. So they would bring the blood in to the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on, on the, the, the seat of God, the mercy seat, 
And this would be the day of atonement for the sins of the people. But then the bodies were taken outside of the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, is trying to draw this picture, and he's trying to help them see what happens inside, what happens outside. He says, the bodies are disposed outside. The trash is taken outside. That's where the people of, of low regard live, outside the gates, outside the walls. They are outsiders. He says, so also... Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, Jesus was crucified outside the city walls. He was an outsider. See, Jesus was the ultimate insider, and he became an outsider so that the outsiders could become insiders. See, Jesus laid down his life so that you and I could find a place to belong. You and I were outside the walls. We didn't deserve to be inside. And Jesus said, I'm going to make a way. You belong with me. And so many of us are looking for the place we belong. Ephesians chapter two. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he says, don't forget that you Gentiles, so he's writing to Jewish and Gentile believers in the Ephesian church and he's trying to bring them together, bring unity. And he says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So he said, you had a group of people who the outside was right because the the men had been circumcised so they had this external sign of this covenant with God and they took great pride in that. And so they got the outside right but their hearts were far from God. Does that sound familiar at all to the church in America many times? That we will go to church and we will do all the things and we'll say, yes, amen, hello, brother. How are you, brother? I'm good, brother. And then our hearts are far from God. We will live however we want. We will do whatever we want. We will value however we want. And this is what he's talking about. He goes on to say in verse 12, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And he's, again, he's writing to Gentiles, Roman citizens who understand the value of citizenship. He says, you're excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. He says, you're an outsider, you're a foreigner, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made you. You lived in this world without God and without hope. He's trying to paint the picture. This is where you were. You were on the outside. You did not deserve to be inside. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't be moral enough. You couldn't fake it. And listen to what he says. But now, oh, I love this. But now, this is where we were. We were hopeless. We were outsiders. We had no place to belong. And Paul says, but now, now everything has changed. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Jesus. 
this is the thing. We're at the garage sale, right? We're strangers. And we serve a God who says, I want to invite you in to an intimate place. I, I want to know you. I want to draw you in. I, I want you to know me, and I want to know you. We're, we're not just going to have a surface-level relationship. I want to know you, and in spite of knowing everything about you, I'm still going to love you. This is what God invites us into. This is what he desires for us, not from us. He's not demanding, you better be at church more. No, what he's saying is, I want to know you. And when I do, I'm going to love you like crazy. See, that, that's the thing that's terrifying. My wife knows me, and she still loves me. That's the only person I know who really, really, really knows me and loves me in spite of everything she knows about me, except God. See, I belong with my wife. You belong with God. He's invited you into that place. He's made a place for you. And then he says in verse 14, listen to this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has brought us peace. There's no hostility any longer is what he's saying. He unites Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now, I want to be clear about something. In verse 14, he's not talking about a metaphoric wall between Jews and Gentiles. He, he's talking about the literal wall in the temple that separated Jews and Gentiles. The wall that said, if you cross here, you will die. He said, there is no wall now in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. And this is what I want you to understand. Maybe we don't have a wall around Calvary Assembly that says, hey, if you don't look a certain way and act a certain way and think a certain way and vote a certain way, if you cross this wall, you're an outsider. You don't belong here. I know Pastor Nick well enough to know that's not how this church functions. But maybe you've got that wall. Well, hey, I'm gonna love them as long as they behave a certain way. And if they do a certain thing, and if they look like me and think like me, then I'll love them. And this is where I would challenge you to go back and think about the way we've been loved. See, Christ never came to us and said, hey, I wanna love you, but you gotta get your junk together. Man, you've been doing this and this and this and this. Get all that right and then there will be love available for you. Then there will be belonging. Then there will be acceptance. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life. He sacrificed for us. He lived generously with us before we deserved it. We hadn't earned it. He tore down the wall of hostility. So my challenge to you today is if you call yourself a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, would you be willing to say, God, show me the walls of hostility in my life that I have erected between people or groups or maybe some of you, it'd be a lot easier for you to love somebody from another country than it would be for you to love a Democrat or a Republican. Maybe there's been a wall of hostility that's gone up. And please understand me. I am a registered voter. I have, I have convictions about the way I would like to see our government run and led. But I am first and foremost a believer in Jesus Christ. 
And so what I have to do, what I have to do is say, hey God, everything else is gonna bow to that. So God, if I've erected a wall of hostility that would keep me from loving somebody of a different political party, well, God, destroy the wall of hostility because we are one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither Democrat nor Republican. There's neither black nor white. There's neither police officer or, there's no division in the body of Christ that there shouldn't be. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, he's torn down the wall of hostility. That's my challenge for you today. You know what, if Calvary, if 20 people in this church would just say, I'm gonna begin to look for outsiders. I'm gonna begin to look for people who don't feel like they belong and I'm gonna help them belong. You will transform this church. You will transform this town. But what if, what if all of us could catch a heart for that and say, God, I recognize I was an outsider and you loved me. So God, help me to love outsiders. Help me to love people who don't belong or maybe they don't feel like they belong. Because the truth is, all of us feel that way sometimes, don't we? All of us feel like outsiders. All of us feel like the uncool kids in the lunchroom sometimes. So would you just simply begin to love people who look and think and believe and act maybe a little different than you? You can't do it on your own. It's the Holy Spirit working through us to love people generously, sacrificially, because this is the way we were loved, sacrificially. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for a love we didn't deserve. I thank you that when we were outsiders, <sighs> we were far from you, you brought us near. We didn't deserve it. We were not good enough. We didn't earn it. But God, because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your generosity, you have welcomed us in as children, as sons and daughters. We have found a place to belong. You know us and you love us. And so God, I pray for every person who's struggling in this place that feels like they don't belong, feels like they're unaccepted, feels like they're unloved. Let them see today that they are loved and they are known by our Heavenly Father. I pray that that would bring peace to our lives. God, I pray for people that are looking for a place to belong in a church. God, I pray that they would find that place here at Calvary. I pray that Calvary would be a place that loves first, that believes the best about people. And God, I pray that this would be a place where people can find that they belong. Lord, I pray your blessing on Pastor Nick and his leadership and his team. God, I pray that you'd anoint them to lead well in this area, to create an environment where people can belong before they believe, before they behave correctly. So God, I pray that, that Calvary would be an oasis in the desert for people looking for a place to belong. God, I pray your blessing on those that are here. I pray your anointing on those that are here. Let them experience your goodness and your power like never before. And I pray that that would transform not just what happens on a weekend and a service, but God, let it transform our everyday life. Let us take this with us to work tomorrow, to school this year. I pray that the wall of hostility would tumble down because of what you've done. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And our hearts are submitted fully to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. 
At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.